Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher, and today on the program, we have Doug McBurney of the Weekly World View. Doug, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Doug McBurney, host over at the Weekly View, where you can find me at theweeklyworldview.com. I'm an amateur comedian and philosopher and a student of the Bible, and I'm very delighted to be with you. Chris, you helped me with... Uh, you helped me find some information as I was researching for a Bible study a few weeks ago, and I had realized I hadn't talked to you in a while, so I reached out and gave a call, and we got talking and ended up on Act 15, and that's how we ended up here. Yeah, absolutely. Acts 15 is a very critical chapter of the Bible. A lot of people, I think they gloss over it because there's so much a dense, packed meaning, things going on, things that typically upset the normal Christian conception of what the early church was like. And so it's, it's often, it seems to be ignored. I, th I think it was, it must've been like the Bible bro down there going through all of Acts and then they get to Acts 15 and they kind of like skip over it. I might be misremembering yeah. that. So I don't know. Uh, so apologies if I misremember that, but that's my memory is that's, well, that's how I, that my Acts impression has always been that, um, I would just call it traditional denominational Christianity acknowledges that there was a Jerusalem council. Let's move on. That's it. <laughs> they don't really want to go into what was actually happening. Yeah. So uh, way back in the day, I've been kicked out of multiple churches in my life. And uh, one of the churches I got kicked out of was over the issue of dispensationalism. They found out I was a dispensationalist. Ooh. Oh, one uh -oh. of those terrible guys. And yeah. uh, an Acts 9 dispensationalist. And they're like, there can't be two gospels. And they do their little uh, pounding the desk type of thing. They're like, you're not welcome back here. If you come back, we're going to put guys around you. Make sure you don't talk to anyone. It's like, okay, <laughs> I, I guess I guess I won't come back, I guess. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so I've, I've talked to a lot of people about Acts 15. And... I've got a lot of different narratives of what's going on there. And so at some point in my life, I put I put together a list of questions. Uh, that's the narrative. Let's go back to the questions on this tab. I put together a list of approximately 40 questions, give or take, depending on how people answer those questions. Kind of uh, shooting for like a reading comprehension um, approach to what's happening in the text, who's doing what, when are they doing those things? Why are they doing those? Just what, what generally is going on and how does that fit into whoever's worldview, whoever's theology, who's presenting this narrative. And so, yes, uh, I know I felt like I was doing a book report. I felt like it felt like a book report. I hope it can pass. Yeah. So this was like, uh, 10 years ago, I wrote this post. Wow. Time flies. You get old fast, but uh, good time. So, true. so Acts 15, uh, I guess we'll go over a general overview of kind of some high level concepts of what's happening in the chapter. And then we could kind of jump into the questions to kind of, kind of talk through what the details are saying. Okay, so this is entitled the Jerusalem Council. I'm reading from the ESV. It doesn't have to be the ESV. The ESV actually does something very good over uh, down on uh, verse, which verse is it? Verse 18. They have the known from old translation, which if you look at the King James, I'll switch to the King James. 
they have known to God from eternity are all his works. So there, there's a textual variant issue there. And I think the Acts, uh, the ESV version is probably closer to the original. But just uh, that that's that's one thing I like about the ESV. Not that I use the ESV too often. But sometimes... Well, I keep on my phone, I keep the old King James, the new King James, and the ESV. I'm not a big... Uh... I'm not a big scriptural inerrancy King James only guy. I, I prefer the King James, but I think uh, the truth is established by two or three witnesses. So I have two or three Bibles on my phone to get the best translation. Yeah, I think it's actually, it's really good to, if you're very familiar with a version of the Bible, just read a different version. Like different things will just kind of pop out at you. You'd be like, that's not quite how I remember that verse. And then it's like, there, there's nuances and there's like, Wow, it doesn't have to be read this way. It could be read this way as well. It it's it's kind of enlightening if if you're familiar with one version, just to just to broaden your horizons just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So Acts 15, it's very interesting. So some men, Paul's out preaching, and uh, some men from Judea, from Jerusalem, they come down and they're teaching: unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so Paul's there, he's with Barnabas, and this causes some sort of dispute uh, that happens at that location. And then they send a group of individuals with Paul and Barnabas to go to the Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem to try to resolve this. So they get to Jerusalem, and there's uh, some Pharisees that rise up arguing in favor of this. And then there's apostles and elders gathered together to hear the matter. Then Peter stands up, he gives some sort of mini-sermon, then he uh, yields it so that uh, Paul could talk and tell about the things that they've done, and then James takes over, and James gives a little speech, and then after that, uh, the elders decide uh, what, what should be done with this situation. Is that a good general overview in broad strokes? That is pretty good, except the very you left out the very last part where Paul gets into a dispute with Barnabas and splits up. But I probably wouldn't have divided the chapter exactly that way. So, right, I might so, put that in the next chapter. Yeah, so I'll I'll hang on to um, the Bible so that we could jump back and forth, and we'll jump to these questions. So in Acts 15, Acts 15, when I wrote this 10 years ago, I was equating in my mind Acts 15 with the Galatians 2 narrative. And so maybe I let my priors dictate these questions a little bit. I have uh, the first question, who are these false brethren? The text doesn't actually refer them as false brethren, as you you point out. In I had noticed answers. that, by the way. This is the good, good thing with two... Uh, Bible students get together and talk about. So I hadn't realized that it it was only in Galatians that they were referred to as the false brethren. Right. And Galatians, um, Bart Ehrman writes about Galatians, and he points out that Paul is very angry and heated when he's writing Galatians. It's like, you guys are turning away from my God. You, you, could, you could read his passion as he's writing this. Uh, I don't think that this is like a technical term that Paul's writing. I think it's a name calling. I think it's uh, rhetorical in Galatians 2. But I think it's the same people as Acts. Now, Luke is writing Acts, and he's not going to call him false brother. And he's, he's taking a more neutral stance. And he 
he doesn't seem to be uh, he doesn't seem to be all in defending Paul against the twelve as as Paul would be doing. So I, I think I think the difference of writers and the difference of passions when these accounts are written accounts for this. But throughout these questions, false brethren, we could just equate with the group from Judea, the men from Judea. Right. So men come down from Judea. They're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so <laughs> some people I've talked to, I've talked to a lot of people. Some people equate these uh, men from Judea. They say, these are not Christians. They're not believers. They're not beholden to the 12. Oh. Uh, so the, that this is what I'm dealing with when I'm setting up these questions. It's like, okay, who, who are these guys? Who are the false brother? Okay. The, the men from Judea. And your answer here is they are not referred to as false brethren. Correct. Uh, in Acts, they are called certain men from Judea, appear to be prominent Jewish believers. Okay. So I, th I think they're Christians. I, I, think, I agree. I think they're Christians. I, th I think it we get that idea because they're actually persuading Christians of their doctrines and then eventually the dispute resolution has to be up channeled to the 12. So it, it's it's not like these are just randos who don't share some sort of base of theology. It says, right. from, from where are they coming? You put Judea. That's that's good. Yeah, yeah. And Paul clarifies in, in Galatians specifically they came from James, the Lord's brother, if we agree that this is the same group. Right. Uh, I've talked to people who are like, these men from James... Uh, they were just people who interacted with James, and then they weren't James's disciples, and they were just uh, unaffiliated okay. with James. They were just from him because they talked to him previously before coming. Oh, it's just so okay. This this is this is what we have to deal with in in the, in the world where these are the type of arguments people need um, in order to safeguard their theology. Uh, these are very theology destroying verses. And so you have to you have to put up these complicated narratives that don't quite make sense in order to justify it. And so if these are men from James, likely the same as uh, Galatians two. And, and do you think it's too much for me to say that I also say, but one could also say that these men came from the twelve apostles? I th I think that is given in the text because they're from Judea, and so that's right. the seed of Christian power. These are basically the let's say orthodox party that that are coming down from from judea so what do they believe the believers must be circumcised to be saved yeah this one's really interesting yeah believers must be circumcised to be safe so there's like acts two dispensationalists and these dispensationalists will say that all circumcision everything like that that's all gone at acts two it's like, okay, right. so now fast forward that. to Acts 9, and people are still teaching this, and this is an active question that nobody knows the answer to, and then they have to up-channel to the elders for resolution, but this was supposedly, and, and covenant theologians and those types will say that Jesus did away with circumcision. These people who are apparent believers they don't they don't know that circumcision is done away with these guys are still teaching circumcision yeah, and this is that and this is at a time by the way when the holy spirit was so strong upon peter at the, in the early church in acts 2 that he was able to 
I mean, for all intents and purposes, the, the Holy Spirit revealed the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, there was nothing was being uh, withheld or restrained by the Holy Spirit. They were being led and taught in Acts 2. How would they miss that? Yeah, and what did Jesus teach for 40 days? <laughs> he, uh, he, t- he taught the kingdom, and the people immediately asked him, when's the kingdom coming? That, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the resolution of that. So Jesus is still teaching kingdom gospel in Acts 2. Uh, that's what's happening. So are they considered Christians? You say by Luke, apparently, yes. I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty much a given. Do they accept the authority of the twelve? Again, some people say no in some people's narrative. So how I numbered these questions is like some people are going to answer no to this. And so then I do uh, sub questions. Yeah, so, yeah. So five will branch out like if no, then this. If yes, then this. Because it forces people to deal with how they're actually answering these questions to make it make sense. So they can't just answer it and move on without being forced to think think through exactly What's going on? So if not, why do Christians accept their teachings? <laughs> That's a good question. There are people <laughs> who think that these non-believers are coming down and telling Christians to be circumcised, to be saved, uh, don't believe in Jesus whatsoever, and believers in Jesus are accepting their teachings and then then are going to be overridden if the 12 teach otherwise? Yeah. It's That's, really weird. that's a stretch. Okay, so B, and also, why is this matter, matter up-channeled to the 12 for final word? It's because the 12's teaching is authoritative. The 12 has, the 12 has, uh, has uh, let's say, jurisdiction in this matter. So if the false brethren or the men from Judea did accept the authority of the 12, were the uh, men from Judea teaching what the 12 taught? Yes, yeah, so some people are going to claim no on this. Um, the the twelve and uh, the Jerusalem leaders are not teaching circumcision, and these people are coming down from Judea, and they're teaching circumcision without any dispensation from the twelve, without any mission from the twelve, without any uh, uh, let's let's say permission to do so. They're just branching out on their own and just doing... right. They're just they've gone rogue. With yeah, their, their, uh, I've I've heard the I've heard them called the. Uh almost like a sect of circumcisers that were like rogue from the 12. It, it's really weird. So it's like, if you, if you're going rogue, why are you up channeling it back to the guys who you're going rogue from? It doesn't make sense. And, and one of the answers are that these guys are only in the story in that first verse. Let's pull that first verse up. <laughs> he says, uh, these men from Judea come down and they're teaching people all these things. And then everyone who's discussing and debating after that are not these people, but just the locals and Paul. Um, it, it gets, some of the narratives get really weird. All right. So do the people that they are teaching believe that the 12 endorse the message? There's some uncertainty for the most part. Yes, I'd say, yeah. All right. Are the the twelve or the men from Judea teaching that the twelve endorsed their message? They likely were, very least implying it, perhaps generally believed it and are open about it. Yeah, they appealed to these guys for resolution. They think they're going to win this. They think that they, when they re- appeal to Jerusalem, it's going to come back favorable in their. Okay, and so that that's an important point. I think. Um, would you agree with me that? 
there was some genuine confusion within the Jewish church in Jerusalem over this question. And not till Paul came on the scene. Because how do you treat Gentiles before Paul comes on the scene? Uh, you, they just have to convert to Judaism. They have right. to circumcise and keep the covenant law. Exactly. And now Paul has come into the into the situation. And remember, there's no telecommunications. There's no... So word traveled a little more slowly. Is it possible that there were pockets and people, and even people in Jerusalem who weren't aware of what had happened with Peter and... And, and what was happening with Paul? Yeah, absolutely. I would think so. One, one, if one were to think that Paul was being a little bit uh, politic, that Paul was building up a base of support apart from the 12, so that when he went to the 12, he would have some sort of political standing to make his case. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you have to always keep in mind that although everyone here is influenced by and has the Holy Spirit, there's still human nature. Right. Yeah. Oh, so like Paul, when he's talking in Galatians, he talks about this having he talks privately to people. He pulls them apart and gives them a breakdown of what he's doing and why he's doing it. He's building political support in the wings so that when he brings things public, he can have a base of support already for him. It's like, it's he just describes doing it. Right, right. So Paul's not a dumb person. Paul knows how to deal with the systems that are in place. And there's, there's very powerful systems with a lot of people, key players, that need to be convinced because if James stood up and said, Paul, your ministry is defunct. It's, it's terrible. Shut it down. Paul's not going to have any support after that. All his base is going to desert him. Right. Right. So who disputes with Paul, the certain men from Judea's who you put, some people don't think that do the disputers accept the authority of the 12. You put yes. If the disputers were not the false brethren, then what became of the false brethren? And so, yeah, it's the it's the um, men from Judea. They're they're the ones talking to Paul. It doesn't make any sense that they leave, and then a different group is debating the sub issues, and then they're up channeling it. It's just it's just a stretch of of uh, the text in order to try to salvage this for someone's theology. Right. All right. So, what is the dispute about circumcision for salvation among the Gentiles? Yeah, I think that absolutely is is the critical point here. And some might argue that Paul was also teaching Jews not to circumcise at this time, but he might have focused the issue solely on the Gentiles because that's actually a battle he could win. Uh -huh. he's, he's probably not going to win a battle against James and Peter about not circumcising Jews. That that That's what gets him uh, almost killed right, later, right. later in Acts. So what's the resolution? 12 agree with um, the resolution of the debate that was going on at the time in Acts 15 before they send people up is one second. Uh oh, this looks like one I got wrong. Well, um, or I misunderstood the question. Maybe that's OK. Right. If I only miss one so far, I'm doing all right. All right, so it says there's some there's no small dissension and debate with them. So what's the resolution of this debate? 
Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. I so the got res- it. The resolution was the up channeling. Right. It's uh, we're we're going to get higher authorities on this matter to to arbitrate this claim, and we'll come back with a de facto answer. Paul is not the de facto answer in the mind of Paul's converts, the men from Judea, or anyone else. Paul has to go get sanctioned. Right. So who goes with Paul to find the answer? Barnabas, a Jew, and Titus, a Greek, and then there's some other men too. And so presumably some of the people that go up are part of the men from Judea. They're going up and they might give an account on their behalf as well. We're we're not sure. Maybe they just go on their way. Uh, We don't know. Chances are they would have wanted to know the resolution. Probably some of them joined Paul and Barnabas and Titus, probably. I would assume so. All right. So what's the purpose of bringing this matter to Jerusalem to settle it following the perceived apostolic authority? Correct. Will the declaration of the 12 silence the men from Judea? Yeah, uh, not completely. You write. So why do you write not completely? So this question of legalism seems to not have been completely resolved in the body politic of the church going forward completely. Right. So you see the Galatians letter where Paul's like, hey, I taught you guys, don't be doing this circumcision stuff. Don't be doing this law stuff. And you're just, you're turning your, it, it seems like there's a certain party, a faction that took the letter about how to treat Gentiles. And they say, yeah, sure. You could be part of of us you could be a believer you could be a christian a a god worshiper uh be part and parcel with us but if you really truly want to be like the elite you got to do the circumcision stuff right and so you you could still jump that level you're kind of still like a a beta christian you could you can move up to the higher levels if you start performing the rites Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems it seems to be a faction that Paul starts fighting. And, and Paul, in his language in Galatians, he's not nice to these guys. He's like, I wish these guys are castrated. They should be cut off. These guys are, they, even if there's angels teaching this stuff, ignore those angels. These guys are the worst. Yeah, he's pretty strong, pretty forceful. And they, these are these are like fellow believers. They're fellow Christians, and they're just teaching the normal stuff that anyone else would teach this entire group of Pharisees we see later in this chapter. Right. All right. So scrolling down on the way to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem. What does Paul declare? Salvation of the Gentiles. Correct. Do the existing Christians see this as new and exciting news? You put, yes. Okay. This, this is big. A lot of people are what we might label as covenant theologians. They think that Jesus was teaching the same thing as the 12, and then also the same thing as Paul. It's the same message throughout. Right. It doesn't seem to be the case when you just read this chapter, what's going on, all all these uh, <laughs> these disputes that have to be settled. Nobody knows what's going on. They, they've not been informed with these basic aspects of um, proper Christian doctrine, we'll say. Is that your reading? So I I go back to what I said uh, initially is that the the fact that there are disputes here is just pretty much ignored. 
and and just lost over and yeah it's uh right so it, no it, it makes people uncomfortable so no one in these areas that paul's preaching to knows whether or not you need to be circumcised to be saved and there's a party arguing you absolutely do a party of believers saying you do need to be circumcised and they're coming from the 12 and so what do the 12 believe what did jesus teach to the 12 whatever he taught them he didn't teach them don't circumcise your newborns on the eighth day anymore that was not part of jesus's teaching no absolutely not absolutely not what happens when Paul reaches Jerusalem? He is received by the Twelve. The new contingent of believers advocating circumcision, are they Christians? Okay, so... So I have to clarify this question. When you say the new contingent of believers, are you referring to the Pharisees who stand up? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, it says, but some believers who belong to the party of Pharisees rose up. Yeah, I think that's referring to the Pharisees. Okay. okay, I wanted to make sure I understood that question. So some people think that these Pharisees are not Christians. <laughs> For some reason, they're taking people who don't affirm Jesus, nothing like that, uh, introducing them into a debate uh, in in Christian circles and advocating in those circles for their own theology. And somehow these people have pull and need to be considered. Right, right. Well, you know, you see the word Pharisee, and right away you assume that, <laughs> that yeah. they're not Christians. Pharisee is like, the, it's got this negative connotation that's totally undeserved. These were like the normal Baptist preachers out there, like like an independent fundamental Baptist preacher on the street. Like, that. that's basically what they were. They're, they ha they're all over the place. They had all their own little denominations, and, and they might... It's not like a unified party. It's not like that they're loosely affiliated, but there's Christian Pharisees. These are just people who hold Pharisaic views that are common to Pharisees, but also Christians. They're just normal Jews. Right, right. I did get that one right. They are Christians. All right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think they are Christians. I, I don't think the narrative supports them not being Christians because no, no. they have part in this debate. And they're taken seriously. Are there are they teaching the same things or different things than the men from Judea? They're teaching the same thing. This this is the Pharisee party. You got to follow the law. Do these believers accept the authority of the twelve? Oh yeah, the the text re, refers to them as believers. Yeah, yeah. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, "It is necessary to circumcise them and and to order them to keep the law of Moses." These are believers. These are Christians. Yep. They think that they're making points that need to be considered and are factual. It's like they have not been taught otherwise. This is this is not a solved question at the point of Acts 15. How many like how how many how many decades later is this from Jesus died? Like one or two? I don't know. This is probably at least 10 years later, I, I would assume. Right, so Paul gives the whole chronology in Galatians, but this is a long time later. They don't know the answer to these questions. Circumcision is still a debated point, and that's not been debated before because no one's brought up the issue. This is that's a new right. issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, back to the questions. <clears throat> do these believers have influence in the church? Yes, of course they do. 
If the teaching of the twelve is clear, why are the elders assembling to consider the matter? <laughs> <laughs> That's that question. Yeah, that oh, is the entire point. It is so funny. People uh, people don't like the narrative of Acts because it kills their sacred cows. And so imagine you have a theology that states Jesus taught what the twelve taught, what Paul taught. It's all the same thing. You wouldn't have to have this deliberation where they have to figure out this question and give an answer and have heated debates on very simple topics such as circumcision. It's just, this is a right? new thing. It's a new thing. Now, it's not a different God. It's not a different Holy Spirit. It's not a different Messiah. It's just a different gospel. It's a different it's a different item of good news is all it is. And, but people tend to think that when you say two gospels, that one of them has to be satanic and the other one has to be correct. And that's not true. Yeah. When I was getting kicked out of the church, they're like, there can't be two gospels. It's like, how have you looked up the word gospel within the Bible and seen how it's used and in what circumstances have you looked at the Septuagint use of the word God? It just means good news. What, what are you talking about? There's all sorts of different good newses that are going on. The birth of Jesus is, is a gospel, right? right, uh, there's, right. there's a proclamation that goes out from the government. That's the gospel, right? It, this is not, it's, it's not like a, it's not like a super spiritual world that word that's just imbibed with all sorts of doctrinal meaning it's that's not what's going on there so people tend to over spiritualize words in the bible this word must mean this very specific thing and then if then if you say anything that like uh makes them uncomfortable about that word they'll be like eh, i can't mean that <laughs> what are you doing to my word <laughs> uh, that says and after there had been much debate peter stood up and said among them and then peter gives a speech they're debating they have this M big much debate, debate. Much debate. Right. So are the believers part of the heavy dispute in verse 7? Yeah, I assume so. Or they have advocates that are in the hierarchy arguing right. their position. Why does Peter stand up to remind people about his outreach to the Gentiles? Now, Peter seems to be within the Bible. He's kind of meek. And his, his uh, meekness seems to have got him overthrown as leader of the church. James is a lot more forceful a lot more brash and a lot more tactless. Uh, Peter yeah. is is more of a peacemaker. He comes in and he tries to make all the parties good. He's like, okay, we could solve this issue. I'll be the peacemaker. You have your points. You have your points. We we can work this out. Bring this together. And, and it's, so it's, it's kind of interesting how Peter's personality seems to have been molded by his experience with Jesus in that he's not nearly as brash and forthright and presumptuous as he was before the crucifixion and everything he went through. And, 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 and I hadn't really put that together until going through this with you, that he really has assumed a more meek and humble position. That's a good observation. Yeah. So <laughs> It is interesting in Galatians too. He's kind of a peacemaker, and Paul's like confronting him to his face and saying, "Don't be doing this. Don't be." It's like Peter's just like, "What? Do, what do I do with these guys? I got, I got Paul. I got James. I'm trying to keep this movement together. I, I feel for him. I feel for Peter." It says, 
Why is Peter stand up to remind people about his outreach to the Gentiles? Because by the spirit, he intended to introduce clarification to the differences in Paul's gospel to add credibility to Paul's position. Yeah, he does seem to be adding credibility. Yeah, he seems to have really stepped up to give Paul some credibility. Yeah. I, th- I think he could read the room and say, hey, this this Paul's not doing bad things. Paul's getting all these Gentiles excited. And if we want to have any movement, we're going to need these Gentiles. And the Gentiles, they're happy because they don't have to circumcise anymore. That's that's <laughs> they're, they're, really happy. There's a huge contingent of God fearers. And what these guys would do is they'd like hang on to like, um, Judaism and follow them to synagogues and stuff like that and just learn all their teaching, but they didn't want to go all the way. They're like, that last step was just a little too much for them. And yeah. so Paul, Paul had a, a ready contingent of, of followers. As soon as he started preaching, you guys don't need to be circumcised. They're like, hey, that sounds pretty good. Actually, I just... <laughs> that was the one part I had a hard time with. <laughs> that, that, I didn't... I had no intention of doing that. That's the worst. <laughs> I don't think that's a female problem. All right. So was Peter actively still ministering Gentiles? No, it doesn't seem like he is. It seems like he just reverted to primarily the Jews. Gentiles are kind of like a side note throughout his ministry. Does this suggest the question is being debated only in the context of Gentile believers? Yeah, we're going to actually see resolution of that later where the letter that goes out is addressed only to the Gentiles. This this dispute is not whether or not Jews circumcise. And Paul is called to account later in Acts. Uh, he's called to, by James and he says, hey, word's gotten out that you've been telling Jews not to circumcise, which would be a violation of the resolution in Acts 15. If he's teaching Jews not to circumcise, then he's he's exceeded the bounds that they gave him here. They said, you, you could preach this to gentiles but that that's it, the same doesn't apply to jews you you don't get a special mandate to tell jews not to circumcise anymore and so that's that's also pretty devastating to a lot of the positions the theological positions that people have where circumcision is done and gone it, it went away with jesus maybe <clears throat> no it's still it's still mandatory per the 12 for jews paul didn't think so Paul was teaching Jews not to circumcise. Some people say that later on when he's called to account that he actually was not teaching Jews to circumcise, but I don't think that's accurate whatsoever. No, I don't think that's accurate because Paul knew the truth. He knew there was there was no difference any longer. He was just trying to be, I don't want to use the term political politically correct, but he was trying to navigate political waters. Yeah, so do verses 7 through 9 suggest a recent change in position regarding the Gentiles? So let's look at 7 through 9. He talks about, in the early days, God made a choice among you. Mouth of the Gentiles should hear the word of God and believe. <clears throat> so that seems like within their, maybe within their lifetimes. Or he might be referring to Abraham being pulled out of the Gentiles, something like that. Oh, by, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of gospel. Okay, so he's, he's talking about Nicodemus. I'm sorry. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness with uh, to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So this is all within their lifetimes. So this is this is a recent development that he's pointing to to try to convince them of something new. 
Yes, and and what I find interesting there is Peter says, Peter actually says, God showed me there is no difference between us and them, but the the legalism and the 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 inability of people to let go of their positions and and their traditions is so strong that Peter could say that, know it, and still say, yeah, but Jews they got to get circumcised. Yeah, it's a little bit ambiguous. So a big sheet comes down to him and says, uh, nothing is uh, unclean anymore. Take and eat. You don't have to do the kosher laws anymore. And he's he doesn't know exactly what to do with this uh, revelation. So I, he, I think he's trying to piece it together with the whole Paul ministry. Like, okay, this, this is how this is applicable. Paul's one of us. He, he, Paul's a Jew who's experienced probably the same thing as me, and I'm going to help him out here because I experienced the same thing. So he's lending credibility to do this. Right. Right. All right. So who's this monologue being directed to? Um, the the Jewish believers of the circumcision party. Are they Christians? Yeah. Again, some people think that there's a bunch of non-Christians debating these things to the head of Christianity. Yeah, that's I, a tough. I, that's a tough one to pull. Yeah, it's. I. I don't. I don't think that's probable. Are they debating directly against Peter and James, implying considerable sway? No, against Paul. So James and Peter might be passive, or this might actually be part of the debate. Like, like uh, we've we've zoomed in, and these are their speeches about their positions, weighing in on this debate. Uh, something like that we're not sure so so are you saying it's possible that the author just didn't record the the uh the points being made by the pharisees and just focused in on peter and james but the pharisees were debating with the peter and james i i think it's all truncated and so um even the speeches that peter and james give i think are truncated we see that when james starts talking uh, at 14, he says, Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. Okay, so when is that? Is that referring back to Nicodemus? That doesn't sound like that's what James is describing. He sounds like he's talking about Abraham being pulled from the Gentiles. So it feels like there was an argument made within this whole debate by Peter about God God's able to pull the Jews from the Gentiles. And so the Gentiles are not this subclass of human beings. I see. So they might be referring to something that that's not necessarily some, some quotes from the old Testament that aren't necessarily recorded here. Yeah. I think it's all like truncated. Like there, there's only so much written word you could do. So you right, right, highlights right. or yeah, you could definitely do, a possibility do a gist of it. Like it, the speech might, uh, if you hear a speech and then you write down the speech, it might not be word for word, but if it's all the concepts still exist, you know, it's, it's an accurate rendering of the speech. It's not like right. inerrancy is that question. And and you see that too. You see that in the Bible where in the gospels, it'll quote Jesus in the same instance and use different words for the same event. It's like, it's, it's okay to, to, to do a, quasi quote or just a conceptual quote rather than a word for word quote it, it, it's not like we're using modern standards for quotations right is, well we're, we're certainly not we we know that uh the bible was not written by lawyers as a as a 
like a real estate contract. So it's not like that. It's written like a story. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to the questions. <clears throat> what position are they taking? Believers must be circumcised. Do Peter and James consider them heretics? No, they don't. It's like the, the whole, you must be circumcised to be saved. They're not heretics in the minds of Peter and James. They're it not, doesn't shock anyone in the room. <laughs> they're not cast out. They're not like, how could you ever? Modern right. Christians would do. Like if I went onto a forum, and like it's maybe it's like a Baptist forum and said, you need circumcision to be saved. They'd be like, get heck out of here, you heretic. You're going right. to hell. You're hell bound. It's just like. Well, you know what? In, in fact, that that's an interesting point you just make. I've always assume that the reason Paul didn't push the point of the Jews don't need to be circumcised either. The reason Paul could not push that at this point is because at this point in the grace program, Jews getting circumcised wasn't going to send them to hell if they believed in Jesus. Paul knew that. So he didn't have to fight that battle yet. Yeah, so what you're describing here is a dispensationalist view where there's an overlap in dispensation, a fade out of the Jewish dispensation, and a fade in of the Gentile dispensation, which which is a, a standard, let's say, dispensationalist Acts nine type of position. Well, I I, I don't know that I would say it's a fade in, fade out. It's that after Paul. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. And then if, if, you, if you get legalistic and do something that you don't need to do, it's, it's not like you're going to lose your salvation. So, so yes, wasn't that so, the need for... So the need for circumcision only died out with the believers who had been saved before Paul, with, with the 12, by the 12, or, or other pre-Paul preachers. Okay, one, one more time. Um, so I'm not saying there's a fade in and a fade out unless you mean in the context of as the people who were saved by Peter and James, and John and the Lord and, and, and John, the as those people died out, then the need for them to be circumcised died out. So that, I guess that would be a fade out, but the, the necessity for circumcision, I think immediately disappeared as soon as Paul returned from Arabia and started preaching. Yeah, and, and that's that's a valid position. It's not one that this text here that we're going over tonight uh, argues for one way or the other. So future not right. fixed rights. We do not know if they viewed the Judaizers as heretics. Um, um, they, well, they don't. They certainly didn't record any rebuke in the yeah, text. Yeah, they're the leaders are debating the issue. They they just don't, they don't have an answer. So it's, it's they're not heretics. They're these are. These are legitimate Christian believers debating points at the highest level of their theological hierarchy for distribution of answers to the field. They don't have an answer previous to this. Everyone, everyone is following the Jewish laws, circumcision laws, the kosher laws still. Everyone's following these things. Paul's the only one throwing a wrench in the, in, in the works. Right. I would argue historically... They kept doing it up until the fall of Jerusalem in uh, 70 AD uh, when basically all the, the Jewish Christians are wiped out and it becomes a Gentile-focused religion. I, I don't Rob, think they... that's, that, that's a logical assumption. 
<laughs> Future Not Fixed writes, again, the discussion was truncated by Luke. It is possible the term heretic could have been used in the debate. It it doesn't make sense because the whole question is whether or not the Gentiles need to be circumcised or not. The Jews are not in question here. Everyone here agrees that Jews do need to be circumcised. The question is what becomes of the Gentiles? Right. And, so the, and Luke, and, and I think Luke being a, uh, an accurate historian, you can truncate a debate, but you don't leave out things that change the entire tenor of the debate. So Luke wouldn't have left that out. Yeah, so we'll, we'll skip forward a little bit for the questions. When James stands up to speak, who is he convincing and what is he convincing them about? The believing Pharisees, yep, that Paul and the Gentile conversions are legitimate. Yes. In verse 19, why is James declaring that his people should trouble them not? He is admitting to, as reported in Galatians 2, that the believing Pharisees are incorrect. Yeah, he's he's just saying, leave these guys alone. These guys are legitimate Christians. Stop trying to force your stuff on them. Let's see what verse 19 we're all the way to. <clears throat> I'm trying to scroll down. It's uh, giving me a little, little trouble here. Well, Chris, I, I've got to tell you, I know we didn't get a chance to talk before we went live. I've only got 10 more minutes. Okay, so if, 10 if, minutes. If we, if we if we can't finish this up, we can always do this again. Right. Uh so we'll we'll jump through this real quick. He says, My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. And so he he lays down some basic works that the Gentiles do need to follow. And again, I think Paul takes what he can get in this situation. I don't think Paul would necessarily agree that they have to follow these things even, but it's a win for him politically It talking. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, apostle... I think you can... I'm sorry to interrupt. You can tell because he leaves some of the commands out in the Galatians 2 account, and when he clarifies in 1 Corinthians, he doesn't mention the blood or the strangled. Yeah, anyway, so... Um, yeah, he took what he could get. Uh, Future Not Fixed writes, do the Judaizers regard Paul and Barnabas as heretics? Probably not in regards to the teaching of the Gentiles not to circumcise. But when Paul starts teaching Jews not to circumcise, a lot of people in this faction lose their mind. Because this is undoing the ancient laws and religious rights that were bestowed upon Israel. And Paul's telling them to violate it. They see this as high blasphemy, and uh, they set out to kill him. They want him dead. For That's this. right. That's right. And 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 I'm where 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 is that where is that recorded? When they, uh, want, when they what want is to it? Kill Acts Acts twenty one Acts twenty two where Acts people 21. take a vow uh, to right. make sure he doesn't live. Okay, and so I've never been clear a hundred percent clear if those were Christians or if those were Jews unbelievers well what's your position it could be people from both sides but uh it probably definitely be the the jews the mainstream jewish non-christians are going to want to kill him for this and oh absolutely right and possibly some christian jews i i had not uh i had not uh thought of the possibility that there were believers that could have been I'll have to look at that. Yeah, we'll we'll get together again for sure. Yeah. Okay. How so would, let, let's how try to button this up if we can. 
Yeah, sounds good. Um, so we've gone through about half the questions. And so I had all these other resources pulled up. <laughs> I guess we won't get to too many, but I do have a, descri a description of what's going on in Acts 15 and a description that makes sense. So my views are that Paul is teaching something brand new. Uh, this is not something the 12 is teaching. When Paul starts teaching this, uh, this these questions are immediately confronted by the hierarchy of Christian believers. And it has to be up-channeled for resolution because it's brand new. They, they don't know what's going on here. This is something never before considered, and it has to be resolved. And so Paul's teaching, in his words, his, his own dispensation. He has a dispensation, a ministry to the Gentiles, and the 12 have a ministry to the Jews, and they're different ministries. They're teaching different things. They have a different audience and a different message. And so this causes conflicts, especially when Paul starts cross-converting. He starts ministering to the Jews, which was seem, seen as outside his realm. Right. And we have to keep in mind that that nobody had the New Testament. <laughs> the, the New Testament was actually happening. They didn't have it to refer to. So there was there was questions. There was confusion. And there were personal um there were personal ambitions and there were positions and 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 emotions and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's very important to read Acts 15, figure out what's going on, and then read Acts 21 and see the follow-up confrontation. A lot of a lot of the New Testament are letters that individual individuals write for specific circumstances in, in specific cases, but Acts serves as maybe a third-party perspective and a pro-Paul perspective at that about how the history of Christianity develops and how these, these, these issues, they, they uh, actually resolve. And <clears throat> all right. So um, I guess we'll be letting you go pretty quickly here. We got maybe five minutes left before you have to go. Yeah. So uh, uh, let me ask you a question that might seem controversial. You don't seem to shy away from those. So, as I read through Acts, especially my most recent full reading when I did a, a Bible study on it, I got the sense that it's possible that James, the Lord's brother, kind of overstepped what he was entitled to and, and was maybe given more authority than perhaps he should have been. Do you think that's a possibility? I think that uh, power flows to uh, strong individuals, and I don't think Peter was a strong individual. I think James probably kept the church together and was probably a stronger figure and probably is the reason for the prominence of Christianity at that time. I think James is mentioned in even uh, non-Christian writings as a prominent figure more so than Jesus because of his personality. So I don't think James is bad per se. He might be a key, a key pin in the church history for keeping the church together. Yeah. So I don't think he's bad. I don't want to imply that he's bad. I believe he's a saved Christian. Um, 
But I just think it's possible that he was granted authority based on his relationship to his brother, having not been an apostle before, unless I'm mistaken. Was he an apostle when Jesus preached? No, I think he got authority because of his brother. But you still have to have the personality to take leadership. Right, Leader right. But did he have the... Hmm. I, I, they, the sanction or the the imperative to do it, it, it's 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 all loose because I don't think that there was a specific hierarchy that was set up. Paul writes to churches and describes how to set up churches and how to set up church hierarchies. It just didn't exist, and so everything was chaotic. And I think a lot of these systems and these uh, these hierarchies develop naturally. And I think he was the natural, charismatic mm. leader of the church. Right. Like and Peter, so Peter just and, wasn't. And so we know that we know that Judas was replaced by the Holy Spirit. Right? Judas yeah. was replaced by the Holy Spirit. Uh chosen. I, I, I don't <laughs> think they rolled dice for James. No, I don't I don't think that. No, so so and so it, it's just uh the 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 interaction, or what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the Holy Spirit's uh, direction was, was uh, I don't want to say it was a lot stronger at the very beginning, but I don't know another way to put it. The Holy Spirit definitely took control of events early on that by this time, it seems like the Holy Spirit was allowing more of... Uh, more liberty to the to the people building the church and and wasn't as directly instructing them and i don't know if that's heretical to say that 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 the holy spirit's giving liberty yeah the the church, early church quickly sank into platonism gnosticism all these sects springing up you look at revelation you're he's writing to six churches you guys got all these problems instantly instantly a heresy started abounding and so we we do have to consider that the early church within Paul's lifetime is a chaotic mess of various various philosophies competing for dominance within their own lifetime. And so Paul himself right. might not be an outlier. There there might be other rogue groups going around like Simon the Magician, people like that, uh, the Valentinians, the Gnostics. Uh, Paul talks about these Gnostics in Colossians he's dealing with these people people who say oh jesus didn't come in the flesh right mm, right 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 so we do have to consider that we live in a very structured and orderly society where i could give you a call and we could talk these people are just out in the middle of nowhere you might not hear anything from anyone you get a copy of a letter you're like is this genuine is is this a fabrication nobody knows people are coming and say hey i just talked to james he's my guy um uh, so now I'm of James and Paul says, Hey, you, you're all, all affiliating with different individuals saying I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. These, these people affiliate in these little groups and they see that as a, as giving them authority. I think it was a very chaotic situation. Well, interesting stuff. Good points. And, um, I really appreciate the fact that, uh, we got folks on here and I'm not going to have a chance to address all their questions, but, uh, let's get together again and we can conclude the list of questions and it might bring up some other questions. It'd be fun.
yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. And we had a good discussion. We'll, we'll set this up again. All right. Amen. God bless we'll everybody. Have a great night. All right. Anyone have any questions or comments? You can put that down below or start a thread on the Facebook group. God is open. Thank you for listening.